Amen. Well, it is good to be here tonight. Do you want this Bible back, or is this one for up here? Okay, uh, I'll use my own. Use a, yeah, I got a King James Bible. <laughs> I'm just kidding. No, hey, it is such a blessing to be here. Uh, I've been looking forward to coming here for a long time. Uh, we tried to be here a little over a year ago, and y'all know what went down, what happened, and uh, I'm still planning on coming back out. Want to be here on a, for a weekend sometime, and uh, hopefully later this summer. We haven't nailed down a date yet. Uh, we'll be coming back out here, but my wife and I decided to come out this way for our anniversary trip, and so thought we could at least get in on a Wednesday out here, and it has been great. I've enjoyed getting to know Pastor Ovi, uh, mainly over the phone is where we've talked, but it, I really enjoy getting to fellowship, and man, the best part of him is his family. Just what a fantastic family, just uh, his wife and kids, just uh, rays of sunshine, man, just good group of people. I like, I like being around people like that, and it was a real blessing, and you know what? The food was really good at the house, too, I must say. Uh, I did enjoy that very much. It was a real blessing. So I am thankful to be here. Appreciate everyone who came out tonight. And I hope you get a blessing from this sermon tonight. I am actually going, I've never done anything like this before, but uh, I am, I've am i been preaching a series uh, in my church on Sunday nights, and I decided to just kind of take this series on the road. And so uh, this sermon I'm preaching, I haven't preached it at my church. I'm not going to preach it at my church, but I'm going to tell the people in my church uh, to go on online and listen to it because uh, it goes along with the series I've been talking about, about perverse disputings. We see that term used in the Bible, uh, perverse disputings, and often, uh, in church, even in church, sometimes people get in disputes, and they're not always good ones. Sometimes we have good fights, and let me tell you something, we see throughout the Bible, you know, contending for the faith, disputing things doctrinally, it's something that we are always going to have to do. It's going to be a part of what we do until Jesus comes back. There's always going to be people trying to deceive, trying to mislead, and uh, we're going to get into it with people every now and then. That's just normal. Don't be all shook up if one of these days somebody comes into this church and starts trying to teach some weird doctrines. That's going to happen. It just, it always does, and you got to be ready to contend. But here's what you don't want to do. You don't want to get in stupid fights, alright? You don't want to just uh, fight about things that aren't worthy to be fought over because they're just so stupid, alright? They're just, they're so pointless. They're so meaningless, and a lot of times that's what we end up getting into. Often, when we are disputing with each other, the flesh kicks in. And when the flesh kicks in, we always get out of line, don't we? And even you might start out fighting for a righteous cause, but it's real easy for it to turn into unrighteous actions when we get in the flesh. And so we got to watch out for all these things. And what I want to talk about tonight specifically, let's go ahead and read uh, some of this text here in First Timothy 1, and I'll, and I'll explain the title and kind of the theme of what we're focusing on tonight. But it says in verse 3, As I besought thee to abide still at Ephesus when I went into Macedonia, that thou mightest charge them that they should teach no other doctrine. So one thing I just want to say, Paul, he needed Timothy to stay in Ephesus for many reasons, but one was to make sure, you know, where they're starting these churches, that they don't allow it to be ruined by other people coming in and teaching false doctrines. That will kill a church. That, that will ruin things. And so he's telling them, make sure people continue teaching what they've been taught. Okay. Now, what's interesting about what he brings up here is he doesn't say these things specifically that we're talking about tonight were necessarily false doctrines. He calls them other doctrines. Okay. Now, 
Now keep that in mind. And he says in verse 4, Neither give heed to fables and endless genealogies, which minister questions rather than godly edifying, which is in faith, so do. There are some things that we could talk about that might be true, but we could never know if they are true. So, for example, if I got up here and I told you all a story about what Adam did on his 100th birthday, I might be telling the truth, but the truth is we have no way of knowing. <laughs> I've got nothing to base that off of. I, I've only had my own imagination. And so, and then if I were to go and start teaching about Adam's 100th birthday, and then if some of you I don't think he did that on his 100th birthday, and then we get in a big fight over it, do you realize we've accomplished nothing in this dispute? Because we can't know. We can't possibly know this. And there are some things people like to get caught up in that are really just pointless. You know, the, like fables. Endless genealogies. These things, all they do is create questions. And there are people out there today, there's even preachers out there today, I'm not going to name any groups like the Ruckmanites, that like just come up with these weird ideas that, I mean, I, I, I guess some of them could be true. I mean, how do we know that before the flood that they didn't call it Middle Earth and that there weren't orcs and, you know, uh, elves and whatever those other things are. You know, it, it's amazing how people will take every type of sci-fi that's out there and try to make it fit in with the Bible somewhere. And if that's too weird, then they can always go to their gap theory where you can insert anything you wanted between Genesis 1, 1, and 1, 2 if there was an unknown period of time there. You can insert, you can insert a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away if you want to do that. But at the end of the day, why would we talk about something like that in church? Even if you convinced me that it was possible, something could have happened then. How am I going to be edified by that? I'm not. All we're going to do is we're going to have questions. And Paul is telling Timothy, stop people from teaching that stuff. Stop that type of thing. Because sometimes, too, people can take things, too, that are based off of what they call extra-biblical books. I mean, the Bible does refer to the book of Jasher, doesn't it? I mean, the Bible does talk about what Enoch preached. And there is a book out there called the book of Enoch. So, if I tell stories from the book of Enoch, I mean, those could be true. But, you know what? I think those are what we would call fables. We don't need to teach these things. These are only going to create more questions. And so it would be wrong for me to you know, go teaching weird things like on the death of Methuselah. Because did you know if you add up the years on the timeline, Methuselah dies in the year 16, I think it's 56. And did you know if you add up the years when the flood came, it was 1656? Methuselah would have lived to be a thousand if he hadn't died in the flood. Or we could teach that his name means when he dies, it will come. And the name Methuselah is prophetic that when he dies, the flood was going to come. Now, I've heard a million people actually tell that story. I, I've never been able to find that his name means that. But I don't know. Maybe it does. I don't know. But am I going to argue with any of you all about that? No, that would be a stupid argument. That's just that's perverse disputing. And you know what? I'm not going to go teach a lot of that stuff because it's, it's, it's just going to create questions. And we don't need to do that. And so, for example, too, if you were going to ask my position on whether or not Adam had a belly button, all right, we like to argue about things like that. And I say, you know, I, what I could do, all right, now I wish I could tell you I came up with a story. I didn't come up with a story. I don't want you all to think I'm too smart here. But, you know, I could talk about how 
proof that he did not have a belly button is the fact that Noah, the one who God saved the world with, if you also follow the genealogies, Noah was the first in that line who was born after Adam died. And that's one of the reasons God chose him because of that faith he had. Because everybody before Noah, they all kind of had proof of God and a creator. Because when all they'd have those family get-togethers and everybody's talking, they get to the oldest one in the group, Adam. And he was able to tell everybody, I used to walk with God. I was the first one. And he could prove it by lifting up his shirt and showing everybody. There's one thing different about me and my wife than all the rest of you. And therefore, you know, Noah, he didn't have Adam as that proof. He had to believe by faith. And that's by God. And so that proves it right there, doesn't it? No. <laughs> that doesn't. But you know, there's people that will argue with you about stuff like that. Okay? There's people that will do that. And all that does is just brings up questions. You know, so for example, okay, well you're saying Adam did have a belly button, but wait a minute. That means he was born. And if he wasn't born, why would he have one? And the thing is, too, if he was, well, it's because God created him with a backstory. But wait a minute. He was made in the image of God. So does God have one? Because God doesn't have a backstory of being born. So how could he be in the image of God if he's got a belly button? But then that's what we can do like the Rutmanites, where we're going to be like Christ one of these days. And then they take that so far as to say, we're all going to be 33-year-old Jewish men with holes in our hands. You see how you can just just go crazy with stuff? It's not all of this dumb. But you know, all the stuff that I'm talking about is the kind of thing that a lot of people talk about in church, and they'll even argue with you over it. I mean, we could probably split some churches over stuff like this if we wanted to. And that, folks, that's ridiculous. But notice what Paul says. And and folks, I've got so many stories like that I could tell you. One, I've been to a lot of camp meetings. And two, I've read a lot of books. You know, I've read a lot of the extra biblical books. And some of them have some interesting stories in them. Are any of them legit? No. But do they make great conversation pieces? Yes. What usually happens after I tell those stories? Are people edified? No. Usually people start arguing. It's true. And because some of the stories that are in those books sound convincing like they line up with the Bible. They really do. But at the end of the day, they're not Bible. And, and I, I've literally had people get angry at me when I'm telling the story. I'm like, I don't believe it. I'm just telling you what that says. It's just like... That story that's telling is contrary to my speculation that I use from the pulpit about that story. Well, your speculation is not Bible either. But yet, this is the kind of stuff we get caught up in. But notice what Paul said. He says, Now the end of the commandment is charity out of a pure heart and of a good conscience and of faith unfeigned. The truth is, while I'm all for talking about stuff and having an interesting conversation and, and just pondering the imponderables, what's on the edge of the universe, all that kind of stuff. At the end of the day, do we really need to be preaching that stuff? No, because well, the things we should be preaching about are things that actually make us a better person. Things that actually make us a better Christian. Things that we can preach out of a good conscience. That I know this is what the, I know this is what the Bible says. This is, in fact, true. Not things that could be true. We don't need to get caught up in that stuff. 
and notice though but it's, it's easy to do that it's easy to get caught up in these things it's easy to be a storyteller because everybody loves a good story everybody loves that kind of thing but the problem is when we do those, we cease to edify we cease to do the work of the Lord and then we sometimes get so caught up in these things we try making the Bible fit our weird stories and that's where you get a lot of what I call ructardation that's out there from the Ruckmanites where they just preach weird stuff and they interpret the Bible in weird ways to make them fit some weird doctrine that they've got. And we got to watch out for that. And the thing is, these people like them will always be popular because everybody loves a good story. Everybody loves a good fable. And it says in verse 6, it says, For which some having swerved have, uh, some having swerved, have turned aside unto vain jangling is the term that he used. And I believe what he's talking about vain jangling there, he's talking about things that sound good but are empty. I mean, yeah, I, I would, if I had time, I, would, I could tell you guys some stories that would just knock your socks off from uh, stories about Bible characters that I've read. Some of them that are really weird, some that are really interesting. If you read the book of Jasser, you can read about Abraham getting thrown into a fiery furnace. It really ha- it's, it's in the book of Jasher, right? And he got thrown in a fiery furnace, and guess what? There was an extra man in there walking around with him. He didn't have any hurt. That, that's in there. The reason Moses had a speech impediment is because when he was a baby, uh, the wise men realized that he was somebody special that was going to deliver Egypt, and so they were trying to prove that he was special. And so what they did, I shouldn't tell these stories, but I, I, got, your, I got your interest now. What they did is they put, a, they put a test in front of them. They took two rocks. They had one hot, glowing rock that a baby would be more naturally drawn to, and they had a regular rock that one with more wisdom would know, don't touch the hot one. And Moses, being wise, even as a young baby, went, uh, you know, he went to go for the regular rock. But there was an angel there that didn't want him being revealed because he didn't want him getting killed. And the angel made him grab the hot rock and he put it to his mouth and burnt his mouth. And so they're like, oh, it's just a regular dumb baby. And then he was spa- his life was spared, but he ended up having a speech impediment as a result of that. That could have happened. That could have happened. But, you know, are, are we going to preach things like that? Are we, are we going to argue? Don't anybody come up to me after the service and try to convince me that that happened, all right? And don't somebody come up and argue and say, I'm, that did not happen. But Who cares? Okay? Let's not have a conversation about that after the service. That's vain jangling. But you know what? Let's just be honest. You all thought that story was interesting. And you'd probably like to hear more stories like that. And I've got some even better ones. But I'm not going to tell you because I don't want to get swerved and get turned aside into vain jangling because I promise none of those stories that I tell you will make you a better Christian. In fact, some of them might make you want to go read some of those things and some of you might be dumb enough to believe them. And then you're going to be worse off as a result of that. So we're not going to do that, but that's what people do. And it's easy to get sidetracked by things that sound good, but they are empty. And... So the, and the definition for vain jangling is just random talk or babble. And it says in verse 7, Desire to be teachers of the law, understanding neither what they say nor whereof they affirm. And let me tell you, there's a lot of people who are saying a lot of things and they act like that because words are coming out of their mouth and that because those words sound good, they feel like they're accomplishing something, but the truth is, their words make no sense. 
I, I mean, how, how does anything of these weird stories I've told you, how does any of it help you? How is it going to make you a better Christian? How is it going to make you a better soul winner? How is it going to make you a better uh, wife or a husband or a, a better Christian in any way? It's not. But these are things we can use to lift ourselves up. Hey, guess what story I, I, I you know I know something you all don't know. You know, and I can lift myself up and then we can get into a weird contest. That is not right. That is not how things are supposed to be done. That kind of thing should not be going in church. It says in verse 8, But we know that the law is good if a man use it lawfully. The Word of God, the law of God, it is. It's good, but you have to use it right. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God. But did you know that not all Scripture is used properly? Every word of God is pure. It's all it is. It's all inspired. But some people will take the words of God and they will teach things that are false. Things that make no sense whatsoever. And again, it's important that we know how when Paul brought this up, Paul did not get into the specifics of what they were teaching, nor did he even take the time to debunk them. Like many other issues, we do see Paul often addressing false doctrine and then taking the time to debunk that false doctrine and teach the truth. And I believe the reason he didn't in these things is because the things that these people were saying did just didn't make sense. And you know what? Here's a little, let me just give you a little secret here when it comes to spotting false doctrine. If something doesn't make sense, it's because it's false. Okay? If, so, if, if something doesn't make sense, it debunks itself. Y'all understand that? See, so if your story doesn't add up, it's because your story's not true. And so, it's and it's not my responsibility to find out the real story. If you come and you tell me something that's just off the wall crazy, it's not my responsibility to figure out what the true story is, but it is my responsibility to have enough common sense to reject your story because it doesn't make any sense. Okay, now, I'm not familiar with this area. I don't know uh, the geography of where I'm at. I've just been following my GPS everywhere I go. I've followed Pastor Obi here. So, I, this is going to be... I, uh, the, it's the illustration I have in my notes won't work as good here, but let's say I'm back at home, all right? Because that's what I had in my notes. Because I was originally going to preach this at home, I decided I decided to preach it here. But let's say I was on trial for murder, and you were on the jury. Okay, it's not your job as a jury member to defend or prosecute. It's only your job to listen to the evidence and then see what the evidence says, and then make a judgment of guilty or not guilty. And you know, society expects you to get it right. They do. Society expects you to get stuff like that right. Now, suppose I'm giving my testimony about where I was when the murder took place. And I'm saying that I, you know, I claimed that I was in Chicago at 7.30 on Wednesday night, but then, and I left my church at 7 that night. Now, if you know my church is in relation to Chicago, you can't get to Chicago uh, from my church in a half hour. Okay, that's impossible. Uh, you can't do that unless you're flying the plane or something like that. Now, if you hear me say a story like that and, give, and I give a testimony that doesn't add up, that doesn't make sense, did you know you don't have to believe that? Did you know that you should reject my story if you're on the jury? You should hear what I say and say, that's impossible. That doesn't make sense. He's lying. Do you know you're supposed to do that? And it doesn't matter how good I say it. It doesn't matter how loud I say it. 
It doesn't matter. If what I say does not make sense and it does not add up, you should reject that testimony. And you know, and quite often today, what we're what we're seeing, whenever there's a dispute or there's a disagreement going on, we allow people. Sometimes we even allow preachers to get up and say things and to make claims that make no logical sense. And we feel like we're just supposed to accept it because, well, he said it. I mean, the guy's got a title. It's got to be true. You know, he's our guy. He's on our side. You know, it sounds good, but should we be okay with that? We should not accept. We should not listen to things that don't make sense. We should not listen to things that don't add up. doesn't matter who says it. One thing I love about math is math is absolute. Okay? Two plus two is four. I don't care what you say. I don't care how it hurts your feelings. If you think it's five... Hey, it's four. You can't change that. Hey, and it, and but yet people today, it's like they think truth is relative. No, it's not. And we need to understand that God gave us common sense for a reason, and we need to use it. And you know, and when watching a presidential debate or a debate of any kind, you know, one thing that we never do is we never fact check our own guy, do we? We just hope he doesn't look bad, or that he does, or we hope that maybe he does something to make the other guy look bad. But we need to remember, if we want to change people's minds, and that's one of the things I've been talking about this, because we want to change people's minds. Do you know everybody you go talk to when you go out sewing? They're not all fundamental Baptists out there, are they? They come from all kinds of different backgrounds. You know, most of them aren't saved. And what are we trying to do? We're trying to change their mind. And we got to understand, there's some lost people out there who have common sense. They, they want to know truth. And if we're saying things that don't make sense, we're never going to change their mind. And if we're making if we're making arguments that don't make sense, okay, vain jangling does not change people's minds. It might keep your loyalists happy, but you have failed to promote truth when you go to when you swerve off into vain jangling. And so, what are some common practices of the vain jangler? Okay, that person who just likes to hear themselves talk. They get up, random babble, random talk, saying things. They say it good. They say it with eloquence. They say it in a way that gets your attention. But if you actually stop and you think about what they're saying, it doesn't make sense. And that's one thing I love about the Bible. While the Bible is an amazing book, and while it does take faith, at the end of the day, the Bible does make sense, doesn't it? I mean, at, fir- at first, you're like, well, surely you have to be do good works to go to heaven. I mean, that is kind of how we think. But there's enough doctrine, there's enough teaching in the Bible that shows us there's none to do with good. No, not one. You know, there's enough Bible that shows us the reason that you think that way instinctively is because you're saying good in relation to each other as people. We're not supposed to compare ourselves to other people. We're supposed to compare ourselves to God. Well, when we start looking at God and the holiness of God and His Word, we start saying, we're all in trouble. You know what? All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. In fact... My only hope is mercy. My only hope is a Savior. And you know what? Actual logic 
will lead you to believing the gospel. And faith alone in Jesus Christ, eternal security. Logic does prove all those things if you actually study the Bible and you follow things to their end. But yet, some people today, they act like the Bible is just this magical book that changes reality when they just because they use words from it. But they're misusing those words. From I'm sorry, if you, just because you interpret... You know, a lot of people, they will, they'll, they'll take a phrase from the Bible. And that phrase is in the Bible. But they will apply it in a weird way. And say, well, that's Bible. Therefore, it has to be true. Well, not necessarily because you're not interpreting it right. You are misusing that passage. And you're saying it really good. You're saying it really loud. But yet, you're not applying it right. So... How do we know, and what are some of the things that people do when they start with a vein jangling? Because these are things that you and I ought to be able to look at and say, you know what, this is not somebody I should listen to. This is not something I should follow. This guy has swerved into vein jangling. And so uh, what we've been doing, and when we've been going through this series in our church, we've been looking at what are known as logical fallacies. Just uh, basically, just ways people, uh, arguments that people make that don't make logical sense. They say these things... It sounds good, but at the same time, if we actually think about it for a second, it's like, you know what, that doesn't make any sense, that's impossible. So let's look, let's look at a few of these. But the first one I want to look at is what's known as the appeal to authority or argumentum ad vercundium, which is uh, Latin, but appeal to authority. All right, now what is this? Now, and you guys got to watch for this, because remember, every day we're a jury. I know you've been all told to judge, not to judge all the time, but in, in really, reality, that's what a jury does, isn't it? They judge, guilty or not guilty. We, every day, are supposed to judge, are the things that I'm hearing truth, or are these things false? We're supposed to make that judgment, and, I, and I'm amazed at how often people do these things that even the world recognizes as logical fallacies that don't make sense, yet even Christians sometimes, we will go into these things to try to prove our point. And even if you're right in your point, when you use arguments like this, you are going to turn away people who actually know how to think. And we don't want to do that. So this appeal to authority, what that means, this is where you appeal to an irrelevant authority to prove your point. Okay, it would be like if you were having an argument about something from the medical world. Okay, maybe it's a medical thing. Maybe it's something about cancer. Right? We all got an opinion about cancer. Every time somebody gets cancer, uh, we all come to them with our uh, home remedies that can fix it just like that. Don't you love those people? All right. And so uh, I'm being sarcastic there. But so anyway, if you all are having an argument, all you've got to do is what were those one nuts you were that you were taking? I was supposed to cure cancer, Sandra. Apricot seeds. All right? apricot, if you take apricot seeds, it'll cure your cancer, folks. That's the cure to cancer. Uh, all these people having cancer get chemo. If they just eat apricot seeds, it'll be fine. All right? And so then now you go, some poor lady has cancer, and then you go tell her, listen, this is true. It is an absolute fact. Apricot seeds cure cancer. Pastor Tommy said so. <laughs> all right, you appeal to an authority, but let me tell you, when it comes to medical stuff, I am an irrelevant authority. I'm not good at that stuff. I'm not interested in that stuff. Yeah, I get it. I'm a Baptist preacher, but that doesn't mean I know everything there is to know about medical stuff. It doesn't mean I, I couldn't even remember what the apricot seeds were. I'd ask my wife uh, about that. Okay? I, I, I'm not somebody you should appeal to, but yet we see people do this all the time where to prove a point, they will make an appeal to an authority somewhere. But wait a minute. 
Who are these people? I just ran into a guy the other day out soul winning that after talking to him for a while, all of a sudden it became clear to him that I was somebody that he had heard of who was known for being homophobic. And, uh, and he was like, yeah, oh yeah, yeah, you guys are a hate group, aren't you? And I said, well, according to the Southern Poverty Law Center, he's like, well, there you go. And I was like, well, you know what? I said, I declared them a hate group. <laughs> so there. You know, so you're going you're gonna to listen to the authority of a hate group? Hey, I'm sorry. I don't see Southern Poverty Law Center as a legitimate authority. I do not recognize them as a legitimate authority. Now, some people do, just because the news media told them it was. But wait a minute. Have you ever actually looked at who these people are in the news media? Do you know what a lot to do that? Okay, I get it. The president said something. That doesn't make it true. Let's look at that guy. Let's look at some of his policies. Let's listen to him and see if he can get one complete sentence out without completely messing it up. <laughs> All right. Just because that person has some kind of title. and you, Again, you can even go to somebody who maybe does have some kind of title, but is it relevant to that? Yet people go to these things all the time. And let me tell you something. There are legitimate authorities out there. There's also illegitimate authorities. You know, to, for example, some will appeal to just the majority. Okay? But here's the, the great thing. All right? The Bible, I've got a verse that I could use to help me if I want to appeal to the majority or if I don't want to appeal to the majority. Because well, hey, everybody believes this, right? Don't we often do that? Well, if you, you appeal to that, if they're right, you say, well, the Bible says, enter in at the straight gate. For broad is the way that leadeth unto destruction. And many there be which go in there, because straight is the gate, and narrow is the way which leadeth life, and few there be that find it. So the majority is always wrong on everything. Right? Is that what we do with that? I've got a verse for it. You know, but at the same time, obviously that's true when it comes to the things of God. Obviously that's true when it comes to salvation. But at the same time, there are many areas where the last thing you want to do is appeal to the majority. But there are some things where maybe that's fine. If we're talking about, you know, if we said America likes cheese. Okay? I think most Americans like cheese. So if, so if we're appealing to the authority uh, of what um, the majority of people like, then I guess we would go that way. Okay. Now I speak for America, and I say it's gross. Okay? And and so anybody who does, you know agrees with me, you can appeal to me. But am I a relevant authority in that? No. Do I rep? I don't represent the majority in really anything. All right. Why? Because one, I'm one person, and two, I'm just. I'm just a contrary soul, and I just I sometimes am different just to be different. I think it's just kind of in my, in my nature. You know, I I grew up with no brothers, four sisters, and so I was always an outsider. And so it's just kind of, it's kind of I am. I'm not a relevant authority on something like that. But you know, sometimes an appeal to authority is appropriate, but it needs to be a relevant one. Okay, so for example, in 1 Corinthians 11.14, it says, Doth not even nature itself teach you that if a man have long hair, it's a shame unto him. But if a woman have long hair, it is a glory to her, for her hair is given her for a covering. But if any man seem to be contentious, we have no such custom, neither the churches of God. So here, when talking about you know hair length and about coverings and all that, what Paul does in here to prove his point, he, he appeals to 
and authority. One, he appeals to nature, which was a good authority in this one. Nature shows that it's shameful for a man and a woman to be like each other in that area. That's what Paul said. But then he went on and he said, if any seem to be contentious, we have no such custom, neither the churches of God. You know what he did? He appealed to other churches. Hey, you want to be contentious about this because we don't have a specific verse that I can pull from the Old Testament that says, thou shalt not have long hair. And you know what? I can't show you a verse in the Old Testament that says, thou shalt not have long hair. But the Apostle Paul said, you can tell from nature that that's wrong for man to have long hair. And you know what? If you have a problem with this, if you think we're wrong, if you just want to be contentious because we don't have that Bible verse, you know what? We don't have any custom like that. You're dealing with talking, and talking to not just about the hair, but women being uh, having their head covered and all that. He said, we have no such custom, neither the churches of God. You look at the churches that are doing it right, they're not doing any of that junk. He appealed to authority to prove a point, didn't he? So, the thing is, what I'm trying to show you on this, there are relevant authorities. There are irrelevant authorities. I'm not here today to preach a message telling you what authorities you should always listen to, but the truth is, you should be able to figure it out. Did you know there are some things that God just, I think He assumed we would be able to figure out. He assumed we would have common sense. There's no verse in the Bible that says, you know, thou shalt not go skydiving without a parachute. You know, but I mean, we can find the principle in there about, you know, uh, when Satan tried to get Jesus to jump from the pinnacle of the temple. But there's not a verse that specifically says that. But you know what? I don't think we need one. I think we ought to, I think we ought to be able to figure that one out. But notice in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, this just shows too that God expects us to be able to look at the authorities that people are appealing to and judge whether or not this even makes sense or is something we should do. He says in 1 Corinthians 6, one, Dare any of you having a matter against another go to the law before the unjust and not before the saints? Do you not know that saints shall judge the world? And if the world should be judged by you, are you unworthy to judge the smallest matters? We're not going to go through all of 1 Corinthians 6, but that's the famous passage where he's talking about you know uh, how there's fornicators and all these different things, and he said, and such were some of you. He said that, basically in the context of saying, why would you go to these people for judgment? He was saying, you used to be one of these people, you should know they are not people you would want to go to for judgment. If you want to go get judgment somewhere, you know what? You need to appeal to the church. You need to go to them. They are would be better judges. In fact, he said, you'd be better off taking the least esteemed person among you and letting them judge you, rather than letting those people out there. That's what that's what Paul taught, and he was he's rebuking them for this because Paul expected them of being capable of understanding relevant authorities. And folks, you can always find a website, you can always find a YouTube video that agrees with anything you want. I mean, you want to believe in aliens? There's plenty of websites, videos. You want to believe? You you, you pick your Bible, you pick your religion. There are plenty of places that you can go to. And that is why Pastor so-and-so says, this person says, that is not proof of anything. It's supposed to be God's Word says. And you ought to be able to figure these things out. And so when somebody gets up and they're making an argument, 
Okay? And, and if, our, if an argument happens in church and you're trying to discuss something that's from the Bible and somebody's like, well, listen, everybody believes this and they appeal to some authority. You know, 95% of Baptists believe this. That still doesn't prove anything. That doesn't prove truth, does it? Okay, even if... And listen, I'm a Baptist, but even if somebody says 100% of Baptists agree with this, that still doesn't prove it's true, does it? Do you know it's possible we can be wrong on something? I doubt it, but it's possible. Okay, I mean, it, it, it's, very, it's very possible. And so we should be able to figure that out. So watch out for that logical fallacy of just appealing to irrelevant authorities. It's not, it's not right. It's not something we should uh, fall into. Turn over to Proverbs chapter 14. Proverbs 14 and verse 12. Uh, another logical fallacy that is often used is what is known as the slippery slope fallacy. Now, I think I and B, we are probably the kings of uh, this fallacy. And we're not 100% wrong on it, but I want to show you if we actually think about this stuff. This is not a good way to try to change people's minds, I think. But this argument, uh, it's uh, basically where we, a party asserts a relatively small first step is going to lead to a chain of related events culminating in some significant and usually negative effect. Okay? So, for example, in the Baptist world, and I do this as much as anybody else, this does not prove anything, but I do this, and you'll hear me do this. Obviously, you got to watch out for these guys with the purple lights in their church. You ever hear Baptist preachers talk about the purple lights, skinny jeans, all that kind of stuff? Listen, man, those purple lights, I can't show you a verse in the Bible that says you can't have purple lights in church. But I Every one of these guys that get the purple lights in, next thing you know, they got the skinny jeans. Next thing you know, they're singing contemporary music in church. Next thing you know, they got rid of their King James Bible. Next thing you know, preaching out ESV. Right after that, they're preaching uh, Lordship Salvation, John MacArthur, Calvinism. Now everybody in their church is going to hell. All because they got purple lights. Okay? I started all right. Purple lights. And, and, and so that's what's. And so the thing is, now let me tell you, that chain of events does happen a lot. But does that prove that purple lights in church are a sin? No, it doesn't. Okay. Now, it, it, it doesn't. It doesn't really do that, and we got to watch out for that. Okay, because this is. And so, what we do? Well, I, I got to have a verse, right? Well, Proverbs fourteen twelve. There is a way which seemeth right unto a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. So you know, you think you're doing right with the purple lights, but it's going to end with you being a Calvinist. <laughs> it might, but it might not. So, do you see how that doesn't really make logical sense? Because obviously we know Calvinism's bad, but we don't really know for sure on this over here. And so when we go and we kind of combine those things and we make it this package deal, what ends up happening is we end up sacrificing truth. And there's going to be somebody that's going to be out there that's capable of thinking. And they're going to do the math in their head. And they're going to say, you know what? Purple lights don't really equal Calvinism. It really doesn't. Because you know what? There are preachers out there that have purple lights and they're not Calvinists. Yet. <laughs> so, but no, we, we need to watch out for this. You know, so, because you know, in the IFB, we're always having that conversation about direction. And I think that's fine to a certain extent. But the problem is what we do, we take our rhetoric too far and then we start claiming things 
you know, are that are false and illogical. Okay, so for example, too, because again, I don't want to go that way. I don't want to be a compromising liberal. I don't want to be. I don't want to be one of those people like that. And so, a lot of times, what we do, we try to take these real hardcore positions. You know, to make sure, because I don't want to end up like those people. And again, I'm all for taking a strong stand on something. I'm all for high standards and all that kind of thing. But again, when we go arguing with people, disputing with people, condemning other people, I think we're crossing the line. So, for example, I could say, you know, everybody who doesn't use a King James Bible is not saved. Well, that's actually probably pushing it, isn't it? Because, you know, some people just don't know better. I mean, honestly, when you go out and you, give some, you get somebody saved out souling, do you give them a lesson on the inspiration of the Scriptures and about the King James Bible? And, you know, a lot of people, they get saved, and they're like, you know, I'm going to go get a Bible. They're going to go to the bookstore. They're not going to know any better. And they go and they buy an NIV, and then I'm up in church preaching. If you got an NIV Bible, you're not saved. Well, those people out there, I thought I just got saved last week. I got to go do it again. And now I'm going to get saved by repenting of my sin of an NIV Bible. And now they're still not saved. I mean, it's just, we're, we're, we're going to really mess people up. I'll pass somebody. So you think somebody can have an NIV Bible and still be saved? Liberal? Compromiser? You know, I think that's going to lead to you eventually using one. No, I don't think I'll ever use one. But at the same time, I'm not going to throw somebody out of my church or tell them that they lost their salvation or they never got saved because they're carrying the wrong Bible. I'm not, I'm not going to do that. I think that would be wrong. It would be like me saying anyone who wears skinny jeans is a homo. No, that listen, I like to make fun of people that do that kind of stuff, but at the end of the day, some people are just going with the styles. You know, that's just what people are doing. I, I don't need to go I don't need to go that far. You know, there's no saved people in non denom churches. Really? Are, are we sure about that? You know, but that that's what often people do. And often the reason for these hardline positions, it's you know, people t- that people take is to protect themselves from taking a position that's too liberal. And so while it might be okay for you to adopt a certain standard to prevent you from going too far in the wrong direction, you can't act like it's a matter of right and wrong for everybody. Because if you do, some thinking people are going to look at you and they're going to put two and two together and they're going to say, this doesn't make sense and you're not going to win them over. So, as, you know, so, and some people too, they'll even go as far as saying, you know, you shouldn't learn Greek. Well, I don't even want to learn the Greek and the Hebrew. Because if you learn Greek, it might make you question the KJV. Not really. Now, I get it. A lot of these so-called Greek scholars often question the KJV. But is learning a language going to necessarily make you do that? But yet there's people out there that act like if you're learning the Greek, you're in sin. And I wish that was true because I can't figure out other languages and I don't think I'm smart enough and I get intimidated by these people sometimes. Uh, And so I would love to throw them all in hell for it, but at the same time, that doesn't make any sense. (laughs) I, I don't think it's wrong. I think it's fine. And let me tell you something. When it comes to the King James issue, and let me just say this at risk because some of you might think that I'm a liberal and on a slippery slope into skinny jeans and Calvinism. I, I, let me just say, sometimes us King James people, we say things that aren't factually true in order to show how King James we are. That's not good.
good. That's not going to help us win people over. I don't think God is impressed with us when we take a more hard line position than He does on something. Yeah, I, I don't think that's good. You know, if the K- KJV translators did it right, then isn't learning Greek just going to strengthen our faith? I mean, do you really think they got it right, or are you not sure? If you think they got it right, then learning Greek that'll only help that. But you know, uh, the reason. But you know, because and here's some of the things people say too. You know, it's like if we update one word, it's no longer the word of God. Okay, well, in my Bible, in First Chronicles chapter one verse four, it says Noah, Shem, Ham, and Japheth, Hook. They, mispr- they added a word in there. It's not even a word. H-U-I-K-K. Is that the word of God? No. You know what they did? They corrupted my entire Bible now, right? And so now, since my Bible is corrupted, because you can't get saved if I preach from this Bible to you, because we're born of incorruptible seed. And we got a corruption in here. But folks, let's just think about that a minute, all right? That doesn't make sense. Because just because we got one word wrong in the genealogies or one word accidentally added on a misprint, it doesn't mean John 3.16 isn't still true. It doesn't mean Romans 3.23 and 6.23 and 3.10 and all those. It doesn't mean those things aren't true. But yet, we're just going to... I've heard people, too, talk about, like, if you change the spelling of Savior, if you drop the U, you've corrupted the Bible. Listen, I don't want to change anything in the Bible. I don't want to update anything. I don't want to update any word. But let's, let's think about this for... Let's just use some logic here. If somebody... And I... Let me just say it again. I don't want them to update our Bible. Okay, but if somebody updated the language into more a more modern English, how is that different than using these words and translating them into another language? Aren't these other words synonyms of our word in English? Or is there something magical about the English language? So the thing is, if we're allowed to take this and translate it into a completely different language, why would it be wrong and no longer be the Word of God if we translated it into a, a little bit different English? You see, how, see what I'm saying there? Now, listen. So, well, you're okay with the modern versions then. No, I'm not. You know why? Because, for one, the modern versions... They are not using the right manuscripts. They're not doing it right. Nobody has even come close to coming up with an equivalent of this King James Bible. That's why I'm against these modern versions. They're not doing it right. But just going and saying it, we can never, ever do it. That doesn't make logical sense. And we don't want to say things like that. Otherwise, we're in trouble. You know, and, and I've been talking a lot about disputes and even addressing different ones that are out there, too. But you got some people, too, they want to argue and say you're changing the Word of God and it's not inspired anymore if you change, you know, interchange eternal and everlasting. But that doesn't make sense either because, for example, in the Spanish Bible, in John 3.15, it says, Mas tenga vida eterna. Which is where it would say, have eternal life. And then in 3.16, it says, Mas tenga vida eterna. It says the exact same thing for everlasting life. Okay, now, I'm not a Spanish person, but maybe it's because 
there is only one word to explain eternal, but in English there's more than one. So if we're translating to a language where there's more than one word for that, wouldn't it be wise to use all of them to make sure everybody totally gets it and understands it? Because what does eternal mean? Forever. Isn't that what it means? And sometimes, even in the Bible itself, it will do that. For example, Jesus said, man should not live by bread alone. But the Old Testament says, man should not live by bread only. What's the difference? What's the difference there? Uh, Here's the difference. There is no difference. They mean the exact same thing. Doesn't it? It means the exact same thing. But people want to get all superstitious about the words and spellings and even capitalizations. You can't do that, folks. There's people out there that are listening to us and they're hearing people say weird things like that that don't add up, that don't make any logical sense. And they're saying, you people are crazy. But, you know, Pastor Tom, I don't know. That that position just worries me because I think it's going to result in you using the NIV one of these days. Well, you know what? When I use the NIV, nail my hide to the wall. But until then, leave me alone. Okay? Until then, leave me alone. Leave people alone with stuff like this. And so, you know, I'm not really interested in where people think my position or lead or... Uh, or if it will lead some, somebody else or lead somebody somewhere else, say, when I get there, let me know. When they get there, let me know. I mean, I mean I've had people do that before. Did you hear what this person is doing? I think it's going to lead to them doing this. Like, well, when they start doing this, I'll jump down their throat. Until then, I'm going to leave them alone. Because what they're doing here is not a sin. We shouldn't, and, you know, this is something else, we, we shouldn't go claiming or condemn somebody who claims to be somewhat dispensational. You know, just because, well, dispensational, that could lead to retardation. Well, not necessarily. So a lot of people use that word in a different way. It means different things to different people. Some people just say, well, that's because there's a difference between the Old Testament and the New Testament. Well, we believe that. Did you know there's people that say they're dispensational and are almost identical to what we believe on a lot of, on especially the important things, especially on salvation? But that's just their way of explaining why we don't sacrifice lambs anymore. I'm not against those people. You know, one of these days, Jesus Christ is going to come. He's going to set up his kingdom on this world. And when that happens, some things are going to be different. Did you know when Jesus Christ comes back, we're probably not going to sing songs like when we see Christ anymore? At that point, it'll be kind of pointless. You know, some people would say it's because we've entered another dispensation. I mean, okay, you know, however you want to explain it, that's fine. But let me tell you, some things have changed. Okay, some of y'all are so hardcore. Even when that happens, you're you're gonna you're you're so non-dispensational. When Jesus Christ comes back, you're gonna keep doing church exact same way, seeing the same things, and still looking forward to Christ's return. You know, that's kind of basically what the Jews are pretending to do. You know, when they're acting like the Messiah didn't come, and you know that's not gonna be right either. You know, we we need to watch out for some of this stuff. You know, we need to learn to mind our own business and keep our mouth shut until somebody actually does something that's wrong. Not just because we think that's gonna lead to them doing something wrong. We need to understand we are not the Holy Spirit. We need to stay in our own lane. And so just because the Bible uses the word slippery, it doesn't mean the slippery slope fallacy is appropriate. Because I could, Psalm 73, 18, surely thou didst set them in slippery places. 
that in the Greek you'll see it's purple lights and, <laughs> and destruction there is uh, in the Hebrew means um, Calvinism it, you know no yeah, the word slippery is in the Bible that doesn't mean all of a sudden it makes this slippery slope fallacy a truth yeah that's how some people interpret the Bible and I'm about out of time I'll, 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 quit, I'll just quickly go over this last one but the last one is what's known as the argument from ignorance okay which I mean it's it's known as an appeal to ignorance I hate this one people use this all the time I know I've probably I, I, I know I've used this before I caught myself using it the other day because sometimes we just have bad habits with these things but this is not good we need to get over these things okay and that is uh, basically where people will say the lack of the lack of contrary evidence uh, is, is proof of something okay it's a, it's a fallacy in a form of logic it inserts that the proposition is true because it has not yet been proven false or that a proposition is false because it has not been proven true this represents a false a type of false dichotomy in which it excludes the possibility that there may have been insufficient investigation to prove the proposition is either true or false okay so for example you know I I, I can get up and say well you know what I believe aliens are real because nobody's proved that they aren't okay well that still doesn't prove anything because nobody's proved that they have either that that is ridiculous you know people will often say well you know what the Bible doesn't say I, I don't believe in electricity the Bible doesn't say anything about electricity sorry you know we, we've seen it alright we, we've, we've seen it used alright I heard a guy one time get up and he said you'll never convince me that NASA's ever gotten into outer space you know the, it was the devil that said I will ascend above the heights of the clouds and obviously you know and so basically Based on that, there's no way anybody has ever gotten that high up. Because if the devil couldn't do it, then we can't do it either. It's like... I was like, do I really need to explain that to you? And I was like, no, I've given up on you. It was, it was, it was absolutely crazy. But you know, people are, they'll do it just because the Bible doesn't say something about something. You know, you know, the Bible doesn't say anything about. I don't know. Well, they'll, they'll even do it the other way too. Like you know, I, I, Bible doesn't tell us there's not a Bigfoot. Bible doesn't tell us there is either. This doesn't, this doesn't prove anything. Well, people will say this is another thing they'll do. Show me in the Bible where it says A, B, and C. I remember one time somebody said, "Show me the Bible where it, you know talks about the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ in the Old Testament." And I like showed them an example. And then they're, and they're like, "Show me in this book of the Bible." <laughs> and then they did the same thing too. Show me where Jesus and his disciples, you know, talk about the death, burial, and resurrection. And then I, I showed him. He's like, "No, show me between." It was like Luke, and he gave like a specific number of chapters. So you know, so it's like if I don't like something you're teaching, you know, show me from the book. Prove to me from the book of Habakkuk, eternal security. I don't believe it. Prove it to me from the book of Habakkuk. You don't even have a verse right now, do you? Therefore, it's false. Does that make sense? Why do you, why do you have to prove it from there? Why isn't the Gospel of John? Enough. Why isn't pretty much the rest of the Bible? There might be something to look back. I didn't look before I thought of that illustration. These things don't prove anything. And, and folks, let me tell you, a lot of people, they do that and they get up in the pulpit. Or they'll read a passage of Scripture. And the oh, Bible doesn't say anything about whatever there. That doesn't mean it's not anywhere in the Bible. I mean, look, I could just take a verse and it says... 
Uh, let me just find a random person. Of whom is Hymenaeus and Alexander, whom I have determined unto Satan, that they may learn not to blaspheme. Does it say anything in there about eternal security? No. Therefore, it's not true. That doesn't prove anything, does it? Okay, because it doesn't prove that there is no eternal security. In fact, that has nothing to do with that. But yet, that is the type of thing we're seeing people do today. It is wrong. And so, the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 13, Though I speak with the tongue of men and of angels and am not charity, I become as a sounding brass or a tinkling cymbal. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so I can remove mountains and have not charity, I am nothing. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned and have not charity, it profiteth me nothing. Well, let me tell you, a lot of people out there, they're talking, they got noise coming out of their mouth. But you know what it is? It's vein jangling. They're like a tinkling cymbal. What they're saying is there's no substance to it. It doesn't actually make sense. Some of it might actually sound good, but if we actually stop and think about it, it doesn't make sense. And when somebody takes their dispute in that direction where they're just, all of a sudden they just start talking saying all these just super swelling things. That's what some people do too when you're arguing. They just start talking real spiritual. You know, well, I think you're wrong in this. Well, I love you in the Lord. And I believe that one of these days the Lord will open thine eyes and you will behold the wondrous things out of his law that I have seen. Well, you sound really spiritual, but uh, that still doesn't prove we're going to inhabit other planets one of these days in eternity. You know, but I sound more spiritual than you because you were all red faced and yelling in the conversation. But yeah, I, I didn't profit anybody anything. And when people do that, it's just time to move on. People like that, the vain janglers, they don't deserve to be engaged. You know, I'm not going to get up in my church on Sunday and preach a sermon on why Bigfoot's false. I'm not, I'm not going to do that. You know why? Because that teaching does not deserve a sermon. And it's amazing some of the things the Baptist preachers have to get up sometimes and preach against. But it's like, there are some subjects that are so dumb that I don't know, I don't think, I think we are doing more harm than good by even responding to them. Because we're making it sound credible enough that we need to respond to it. Like, we need to respond to things against eternal security and work salvation. But do we really need to, you know, preach a sermon against the flying spaghetti monster or, you know, you know, Lord of the Rings didn't really happen? Uh, I mean, do, do we need to do stuff like that? I mean, some of you all be entertained if you heard a sermon like that. But at the same time, there's nothing edifying about that. They need to be ignored. And so we don't want to fall for that in that trap of trying to make the Bible say something it doesn't say. Because what I can end up doing is I can end up butchering some scripture to try to make it prove Bigfoot doesn't exist. Because I don't think there's any verse in the Bible that proves Bigfoot doesn't exist. I think we do that too when we start getting into some of this flat earth stuff. I mean, do, I mean, really, do do we want to talk about this and engage this? Because you know, the Bible doesn't say much on that subject. Do we want to make scriptures about something that it's not? Because isn't that what they're already doing? So, do we want to do the same thing and butcher a passage of scripture to prove something that probably is not worthy of being addressed? 
addressed. We, we need to watch out for that. Because otherwise, we're going to be uh, swerving. And that's what, that's what Paul did. Paul didn't even mention these things. He kind of categorized them. But he didn't debunk their fables. He just said, tell them to stop it. This isn't something from the Bible. And so, it's okay for you to demand that arguments and positions that they make sense and that they add up and that they be logical. You don't have to listen to someone make a foolish argument and then listen to them just because they have a title or just because they say something real loud. Some people and some arguments do not deserve attention. And when we get caught up in those disputes, I think what we're going to do is we're going to find ourselves participating in perverse disputes. So we need to watch out for that and we need to stick to things that edify. When you prove to me that believing in Bigfoot will help me be a better Christian, maybe we'll talk about that. But until then, you know, save your fairy tales for, you know, Saturday night when you're watching Discovery Channel or whatever. Uh, don't bring those into church. Uh, that You'll just get yourself in trouble. So that, let's pray. Dear Lord, thank you, Lord, for this opportunity to preach to these dear folks. And dear God, I just pray that you'll uh, use this. I pray you'll help them to uh, be responsible enough to actually think about what they're told and the things that they hear and that they'll always just check things out with the scripture. Help us to uh, be capable of judging things in a right way. And I pray that we'll honor you and we'll uh, stick to those things that edify and that uh, make us better Christians. In your name we pray. Amen.